the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Boy, Joe Biden really wants that youth vote. Uh, the big guy's poll numbers are in the toilet. Everybody knows that. Uh, where it's really bothering the, bothering him, though, is uh, with the youth vote. He really needs those numbers. So Joe sent out an email. Well, actually, there's no way he could have emailed it. Somebody sent it out for him. But here's what it says. Quote, Congratulations, your student loan has been forgiven because of actions my administration took to make sure you receive the relief you earned and deserved. For too long, the student loan program failed to live up to its commitments, and millions like you never got the relief you were owed because of errors and administrative failures. I hope this relief gives you a little more breathing room. I'm proud that we were able to get borrowers like you the relief you earned. He mentioned a commitment there. Isn't taking out a loan, isn't there kind of a commitment involved there? Anyway, in other words, what Joe is saying is, vote for me, you owe me. Could you be any more desperate? It's blatantly buying votes, and of course it's buying votes with your money and my money because it sure isn't Joe's money that's going to be used to pay off the loans. It'll be government money, and we all know where government money comes from. The Biden administration has already canceled $127 billion in student loan debt by somehow going around a Supreme Court ruling that it was unconstitutional to do so. He figured out a way to do it. Well, if you own a home, maybe you should be expecting an email from the big guy, nice Christmas present maybe, telling you that your mortgage is paid off. That's the least he can do. Well, when we come back, car dealerships are begging the big guy to stop forcing the car makers to make electric vehicles because they're piling up on their lots. Nobody's buying them. And in our second half hour, a Catholic all-women's university has decided to start admitting men as long as they dress as women. Stick around. How many of uh, your neighbors are driving an electric car or truck? Probably not many. Maybe none, but they're not selling too well. Maybe that's not a big deal for you, but what if you owned a car dealership? Because it is a big deal for them, and 4,000 of them sent letter a letter to the big guy about it. And uh, Diana Furchgott-Roth is the director of the Center for Climate and Environment at the Heritage Foundation. She joins us now. Always good to have you on the show, Diana. Thanks for coming back. Great to be with you. So uh, what would the... Uh, the car dealers like the president to do? The car dealers would like the president not to make final these regulations he has proposed that would require 60% of new vehicle sales to be electric in 2030 and 66% to be electric in 2032. Because the problem is that the market just can't absorb this number of electric vehicles. Well, uh, time got, uh, moves quickly, and uh, 2030, uh, that's not that, we're now, it's, it's only six years from now. That, that, that's it's right. kind of unrealistic, and these auto isn't dealers, it? They start, yeah, these auto dealers, they start planning way in advance. 
Um, so they start planning for the model years way, way before these, these assaults. So they have to start planning now for the cars that they're going to be selling in 2030. Yeah, and it, it uh, seems like at least half of the car ads you see on TV are for battery-operated ones. It's not like the car companies haven't been pushing them. They have. They absolutely have been pushing, yes, but they're not buying. That's the trouble. Yeah, um, so six years from now, uh, they they think that they're going to be able to mandate that the car dealerships no longer sell internal combustion engine vehicles? Well, what would happen would be... What would happen would be that if the auto companies did not sell a certain number of electric vehicles, they would be fined and they would have to purchase credits for the electric vehicles that they did not sell. That's the problem. Would I be fined for not buying one? No, you would not be (laughs) fined for not buying one. But you say you wanted to buy a different car. Say you wanted to buy an SUV Uh or a pickup truck. Mm -hmm. Then the price of that would be higher because auto companies would have to raise the price of those to pay for the credits and fines they would have to pay for not selling the electric vehicle. Do you see what I'm saying? Um, so let me let, run that by me again. So in 2030, if I go in to buy a uh, Jeep Cherokee SUV that happens to run on gasoline, yeah. I'm going to pay a lot more for it because there, are, there, there might be too many electric Jeep Cherokees sitting on the lot that can't be sold. Uh, right, and because the auto dealer, because the auto manufacturer, Jeep, uh, mm-hmm. in other words, Stellantis, yeah. they would have had to pay the federal government money for the Jeeps that are not being sold. So because they have to pay that money, it has to come out from somewhere. Because they're not selling the electric vehicles, uh, they have to charge more for the cars people do want to buy. So that's why the prices of these EVs that basically upper-income people are buying are lower, and the prices of cars that you and I buy, like the Jeeps and SUVs and minivans. By the way, I have a Jeep Grand Cherokee, too. Yeah. Well, I've Those had... are higher to make up for the electric cars that are not being sold. Um, at some point, uh, this it obviously seemed like a good idea to enough people to put it into place, but... Do you get the idea that maybe some of the people who thought this was a good idea back whenever are finally maybe wising up a little bit and knowing that this is just isn't it's not going to happen it can't happen and I think that they have some ideology and they still think that people should buy those vehicles they're very very keen on people buying these vehicles even if they don't want to buy them <laughs> I don't think they've wised up it, you know, this would be one thing, uh, Diana. If this were, if you were talking about an item that costs, you know, a hundred bucks or something, but this is a car that you're going to have for, who knows how many years, four, eight, ten years, that you're going to shell out thousands of dollars for, and the the federal government is is going to try to force you one way or another to buy the car they want you to buy. Well, they're even doing it with smaller items. I mean, they succeeded with the light bulbs, remember? Yep, we yep. wanted to buy incandescent light bulbs, and yep. they forced us to buy other light bulbs. Right. They're doing it with dishwashers. Dishwashers. We want to buy dishwashers that wash dishes. They're forcing us to buy dishwashers that use less water, so we have to rinse them ahead of time. <laughs> and so that uses water, too, but it's not being used in the dishwasher. 
they're forcing us to do it with clothes washing machines, which now use less water. So they're forcing us to do it with all kinds of things. That's uh, the problem. Yeah. So I say that I am pro-choice. I think people should be able to buy an electric vehicle or an internal combustion engine vehicle. A dishwasher that uses a lot of water or a little water. Yeah. Uh, a washing machine that uses a lot of water or a little water. But and the other side, they're only pro-choice with one thing. They want you to be able to kill your baby or not kill your baby. Yeah, but Diana, you must not care about the planet then. If you don't want to have I do a- care about the... No, no, I definitely care about the planet. And electric vehicles, they describe them as emissions-free, but they're not emissions-free because they use electricity and emissions to charge the battery. So unless the battery was charged without emissions, which we don't have right now because we don't have all nuclear power, and we cannot charge these batteries on wind and solar, these vehicles are not emissions-free. They're made in China with coal-fired power plants. You know, the batteries are made... Uh, China makes 80% of the batteries for electric vehicles right now. And it makes those using coal-fired power plants. And to mine for the minerals that go into the batteries, the lithium and the iron ore, you have to move 500,000 pounds of dirt to get the minerals for one electric battery. Well, uh, According to Mark Mills of the Manhattan Institute. So these are not emissions-free and they don't help the planet. Mm-hmm. So... What is that's the problem? It's not the, helping anybody. We're paying trillions of dollars for nothing. Is this stupidity or dishonesty? Do they actually believe? Uh, could it possibly be that they really believe that this is good, or is there some nefarious um, plot involved in this, or some some other kind of uh, motivation here that is not the planet? Well, I'm sure that some people believe that it's good. Mm-hmm. And other people, uh, uh, I, I'm sure some people think it's a good idea, and then other people are doing it to further their own investment. But I don't want to uh, place any motivations on people. That's not my job. Yeah. My job is just to look at these things and say, 6% of new vehicle sales right now are electric. I'm fully supportive of anyone who wants to buy an electric vehicle to buy one. And mostly it's people who use them as a second vehicle. They have a charging station in their homes. They use them for short trips. They come back and recharge them in their home. But when it comes to taking a family of, um, you know, six kids and two parents down to Florida, driving down to Florida from Pennsylvania, it's not so convenient because you have to stop every couple of hundred miles to recharge. The kids are screaming in the back uh, and you want a different vehicle for that. So it, it appeals to people who can have it as a second car. It doesn't appeal to people who have to drive long distances, and this is the only vehicle they have. And so usually people who are buying them are upper-income individuals who are buying them as a second vehicle. Mm-hmm. Well, does cold weather... I have, nothing, I, I have nothing against that. I just don't see why I should be forced to buy one or that my Jeep should be priced higher so that someone else uh, buys a Tesla or um, uh, a Ford Lightning pickup truck that doesn't even tow. Well, the only way that this becomes not forcing you or me to buy it is for us to be convinced that if we don't we're we're uh condemning the planet we're we're you know we're we're uh have helping to destroy the planet we live on is it uh, there's no other way to do it you ha- it, it has to begin doesn't it with convincing you and me that it will save the planet well 
uh, I don't know about saving the planet, but there we have uh, plug. We have non-plug-in hybrids that get really good mileage, but we don't get tax credits for those. Mm-hmm. And the thing about these non-plug-in hybrids is they they charge the battery through the operation of the engine and the operation of the braking system. And because of that, you don't get this what's called range anxiety of not right. being able to uh, fill up if. Uh, you get an, and your battery running out, it just extends the mileage of the battery. So um, you get good fuel efficiency. So these are uh, have the lowest emissions of any vehicle. We're talking to Diana Furchcott Roth. She's director of the Center for Climate and Environment at the Heritage Foundation. So um, I guess this time of year, it's getting kind of cold around here. I don't know where you are. Um, does cold weather make this the worst time of year to be trying to sell someone on one of these things? does because these batteries lose 20 to 40 percent of their charge when it's cold and that's why there's only about 500 of them registered in wyoming and about 400 registered in each of the dakotas north and south dakota and and how are they going to get around that what what can what improvements can be made what can they do yeah i mean the weather's not going to change you know it's yeah so what my students at george washington university tell me is they say Professor Furch got rough. The technology is going to catch up. Oh. So it's as though you mandate something and then that technology is magically going to catch up because you mandate it, because you require it. And maybe it will and maybe it won't, but it hasn't yet. So it's really, uh, it, it's really a step too far requiring people to buy something that they don't want to buy when it's such a big cost. And Americans really love their cars. It's not like Europe where you, people take transit. So mm-hmm. here in the United States, it's the American dream. You get off, you, you go out in your car and you drive somewhere where maybe there's not even a charging station. Right. And you can do that and you love doing it. People use them to get to work. They use them to get to school. Have you ever seen a construction site and those cars parked around the construction site? There's, yeah. They're all beat up pickup trucks usually. Mm-hmm. And there's never any transit around the construction site. No. You never see a shiny Tesla. So... We're not environmental justice to take away the cars people rely on get to their jobs. Yeah, I, um, I'm, I'm just thinking, as you're saying that, trying to think of the last time I rode public transit, bus, or in this case here, a streetcar, the, the T, they call it, subway. Uh, it's been at least 30 years since I set foot on a public transit vehicle. So, And if I live for another 30 years, I'm hoping I never set on a, get, get on another one again, so... That's just me, but uh, it's interesting. You mentioned you teach at, at George Washington, and I'm just wondering, yeah. you're, you're teaching young people who tend to um, buy into the, the environmental stuff more than the their, their people of, of, in the older generations. So um, are they are they prime targets for this? And, and is it, are they kind of a, a bad example because they don't have any money? So they, don't, they don't know what it takes to buy a $60,000 car, that you have to have, you know, a job and it, and you also have a mortgage to pay. They, they did their... Oh, no they, fu- Go ahead. no, they fully understand it when I explain it to them. <laughs> they fully understand that this is not a matter of uh, just changing a different... To, this is a matter of changing to a different kind of vehicle. They understand when I explain to them the components are made in China uh, and that mandating this makes China stronger and the United States weaker. So they are, they fully understand it when I explain it to them. They're very intelligent. Well, but they're they're not pushing back on it, or do they? 
Well, yeah, they push it back on it, and then I explain to them. So yeah. they say, just like you do, well, won't this save the planet? And I explain why it won't save the planet. Uh-huh. We now, have a discussion, civilized yeah. discussion. Yeah, well, Biden says he wants, as you said, 60% of sales will be electric six years from now. That would mean selling 10 times as many electric vehicles as they're selling now. So how much longer can he and the federal government and the people running around saying this stuff, how long can they even suggest that with a straight face? There's just the math. There's The math just doesn't work. It can't be, it can't be done. Right. Right. The math does not work. And last month, GM and Ford announced that they were cutting their investments in electric vehicles because the demand, they said, was evolving. And another car company said the demand is dynamic. What they really mean is the demand is static and that demand is devolving. So uh, Ford cut 15 billion worth of investment, uh, planned investment in batteries and electric vehicles because people just aren't buying them. These are stacking up on dealer lots. The dealers don't want them. And um, what are the chances? Of, of, well, the, it's only 4,000 is a, a good number. There are a lot more dealers than 4,000. This has to be a movement. The, the dealers have to really get together on this, maybe even more so than the car makers themselves. We also had uh, yesterday there was a letter released by 200 members of Congress to President Biden saying the same thing. So you have some members of Congress writing to President Biden. You have the auto dealers pausing on their investment. Uh, and you have the, uh, you, know, you know, the auto dealers also writing. So I think that there is definitely pushback. And we all need to call our representatives and tell them uh, that we should have a choice of what cars to buy. It's pretty simple. We've always had the choice before. And some people have chosen EVs. Others have chosen internal combustion engine vehicles. And we should continue to have that choice. Yeah, well, I, I hope we continue to have it. <laughs> I, I, it just kind of scares me to think about where we're going to be four or five years from now when they when they start seeing that it's not working and what what kind of drastic measures the government might make to uh, might might uh, come up with to to make this happen. It's kind of scary, isn't it? It really is. Yeah, yeah. Well, hey, Diana, I'm, I appreciate you coming on the show. Hope to have you on again. Thank you. Well, thank you so much. Okay. Bye. Bye. That's Diana Firstcott Roth from the Heritage Foundation. I'll be right back. I went to a uh, an all-boys Catholic high school a million years ago, and uh, it was one of the best things that ever happened to me. I still see some of the guys I gradu- graduated with, some we were dying off, we're getting so old, but uh, there's still a good group of us. And I think if I asked all of them that I still see every now and then, there's a small group, but if I asked them, I think it would be 100% that they would never change, uh, they would never go, if they had to do over again, they wouldn't do it differently. They wouldn't go to a school that included girls. It was an all-boys Catholic high school. There's a certain, there's there are things that come with that. Uh, obviously, when you're 15 or 16 years old, you'd like to have a girl around once in a while. But the guys who went through it, and if you talk to any Central Catholic graduate, and there are thousands of them running around in Pittsburgh and Western Pennsylvania right now, and you ask them, they would tell you the same thing. So uh, I ran across this. Well, this story came out a few days ago, but <clears throat> I'll just start you off with letting you hear this clip. Uh, it's... It's um, from Fox News, and it's Julie Benderis, and who, well, I'll just let you hear it. Just listen to this, and we'll go from there. 
A Catholic women's college will now consider applications from biological males who identify as women. St. Mary's College in Notre Dame, Indiana, says it's still determining the, quote, practices that will follow from the policy. The school is getting serious blowback for its decision. It is a Catholic school, I mentioned, from current students, some alumni, and women's advocates. Caroline Downey is a reporter for the National Review and visiting fellow at the Independent Women's Forum uh, to talk to us here and now. All right, first of all, my kids go to Catholic school. Um, we do have rules. You can discuss certain issues at home, but you don't bring it into the school. It goes against the curriculum. They're Catholic schools. How is this being allowed? Thanks so much for having me. Well, first of all, you'd expect this absurdity from Mount Holyoke or Barnard or any other progressive women's college. But this is St. Mary's. It's been affiliated with Notre Dame for 179 years. Its namesake is the Virgin Mary. It was founded not only Catholic, but exclusively for women. But these Catholic schools, unfortunately, are self-hating institutions. They're embarrassed of their Catholic identity, and they do things all the time to undermine it. So the fact that St. Mary's would abandon its mission to welcome men is a slap in the face to all of the female students currently enrolled there. And, you know, like you said, Catholic colleges used to be a refuge for morality, goodness, and truth. But we can't depend on that anymore. Uh, the president of the college, Katie Conboy, told the faculty in an email earlier this week about the change in policy. Um, and here's a quote from her in a statement. Okay, St. Mary's will consider undergraduate applicants whose sex assigned at birth is female or who consistently live and identify as women. That goes in drastic um, uh, contradiction to what is being taught in our Catholic schools. In the nation's schools, I get it. That's one thing. You have a choice. You don't have to go to a Catholic school. There are, there are reasons why we as parents send our kids to Catholic schools. We want to shield them. I want to shelter my children from certain issues. That's why they go to Catholic school and always have. So where, does, where do you draw the line in the sand? Like I said, Catholic schools used to be a haven, but emphasis on used to be. They no longer are. They've been hijacked and corrupted by gender ideology, just like many other public schools and private schools. You're better off sending them to a classical school so, like that's a charter school that actually teaches the, the basics of gender objectivity. But unfortunately, yes, all of these colleges are shedding their Catholic mission. And the Vatican certainly does not approve of this. Mary, St. Mary, does not approve of this. And so it's just really unfortunate that we've, we've strayed so far from what is true. Somebody else who doesn't approve of this is the uh, bishop in um, Fort Wayne, South Bend, and uh, that's where St. Mary's College is. It's in South Bend, Indiana. And I remember I knew guys who went to Notre Dame. Actually, my friends didn't go to Notre Dame. I hung around with the guys who could never even think about going to Notre Dame. Uh, but my my brother had friends. Um, my older brother had a couple of friends who went to Notre Dame. And it was an all-men's, all-male school. Uh, people forget that, maybe. It's been a long time since they switched but if you were coming out of a Central Catholic, or in my case, it was then known as South Hills Catholic, it's now Seton LaSalle, which is a co-ed Catholic school. But if you were coming out of a school like uh, Central Catholic, you went going to Notre Dame was just kind of first of all, if you could get in, you went. Uh, you didn't. That was just a, a great accomplishment to be accepted there. 
So if you were coming from an all-male school, going to Notre Dame made perfect sense. John Carroll was uh, a similar up in Cleveland, which is still there, but it's, it's a co-ed now, and it's, uh, there are very few left that are all men or all women. But, uh, but St. Mary's was, the affi- was affiliated with Notre Dame, as I think the woman that was being interviewed there said, for like a hundred and some years, it's been associated with Notre Dame. Notre Dame was all men, and St. Mary's was their sister school. They were all women. And I knew a couple of girls who went to St. Mary's. So, um, you know, that was kind of a cool thing. And then they, they got together. That's how they got together for dances and all the, you know, the activities and things like that. Um, but it's not the same anymore. Uh, St. Mary's stuck with all women after Notre Dame allowed women to get in there. So, um, they stuck with it for a long time, but now they're going with this transgender insanity. So the bishop, Kevin C. Rhodes, uh, first of all, the uh, he says that he urged the board of trustees of St. Mary's College to correct a new admissions policy that, quote, departs from con- fundamental Catholic teaching on the nature of woman. Um, and it, uh, by the way, Notre Dame... Uh, it's actually Notre Dame, and it's um, the College of Our Lady. That's what Notre Dame stands for. So the Notre Dame was is based on uh, the Virgin Mary. That's the whole idea. So anyway, uh, Katie Conboy, who's the college president, she sent an email to the staff back uh, on the 21st of November, about two weeks ago, uh, and well, not even two weeks and said that while details would continue to be developed, applicants who identify as transgender would be considered for admission in 2024. Quote, We are by no means the first Catholic women's college to adopt a policy with this scope. In drafting the language for this update, I have relied on the guidance of the executive team and others to ensure that our message is not only in line with the best practices for today's college students, but that it also encompasses our commitment to operate as a Catholic women's college, as a Catholic women's college, okay? You can operate as whatever you want, but if you're, you, how can you call yourself Catholic? This is, this is I, I found this on a website called Catholic Answers, and it was a question about, uh, well, let me, I'll give you the exact question. What are Catholic views on transgenderism slash being transgender? Uh, the church uh, has one has a take that is grounded in genuinely confirmed reality. One is born either male or female, and this also applies to hermaphrodites, who, though they manifest both male and female anatomical aspects at birth, are either biological boys or girls. In this light, the church recognizes that every human person is created in the image and likeness of God, male or female, and so we should help people discover their true identities as children of God, not support them in the disordered attempt to reject their undeniable biological identity. And that's what the that's the Catholic teaching. You can disagree with that. You can think it's ridiculous. You can hate it. You can think it's um, transphobic or any phobic you want to come up with. That's fine. You're allowed to believe that. But you're either this is what I don't get. You're either Catholic or you're not. You're either Jewish or you're not. How can you be a Catholic? She says, it encompasses our commitment to operate as a Catholic women's college. 
you're committing to operate as a Catholic women's college, and you're you're saying that a man who decides to show up dressed as a woman is a woman, which is 100% in contrast, it, it 100% contradicts what the Catholic teaching is on the subject. Uh, central to, this is, uh, this is also from the same story about Bishop Rhodes, uh, central to Bishop Rhodes' criticism of the policy is the departure from what he called fundamental Catholic teachings concerning gender and the nature of women. The desire of St. Mary's College to show hospitality to people who identify as transgender is not the problem. The problem is a Catholic, that's that word keeps coming up, the problem is a Catholic woman's college embracing a definition of a woman that is not Catholic. See, this goes so far, This is, it's not that complicated to me. It's you try to turn it into something complicated and want to get into the discussion about transgender and how God might uh, view transgenderism and what would be the charitable thing to do. Those are all nice discussions to have. But it, it's just the stupidity of it that gets me. You're a Catholic university. You either, if you want to be that, then be that, but you don't get to be a, you don't get to call yourself Catholic and then say that you're okay with abortion, like Joe Biden. You can't do that. You can, but it's, it's, it's just stupid, beyond stupid. So, the new admissions policy at St. Mary's College erroneously suggests, this is from, um, Pope Francis, I guess. No, this is, uh, this is from the bishop still. The new admissions policy at St. Mary's College erroneously suggests that quote-unquote woman is a purely social category that anyone, regardless of sex, can inhabit. While acknowledging the college's stated desire of fostering inclusivity and love within its community, the bishop said that this pursuit must not be divorced from truth, and he urged St. Mary's college to realign its admissions policy in adherence to Catholic teachings. And then, in case you didn't know, this is St. Mary's in Indiana, in case you didn't know, uh, earlier this year, St. John's University, I think that's the one in New York, I'm I'm guessing uh, there may be more than one, but that's the one I think it's referring to, and the College of St. Benedict, located in Collegeville, and St. Joseph, Minnesota, respectively, adopted a similar policy to St. Mary's College. The institutions, sponsored by the sisters and monks of the Order of St. Benedict, decided to, quote, allow applicants who were assigned male at birth, as well as those who were assigned female or male at birth, but now consistently live and identify as male, transgender, gender-fluid, or non-binary to enroll. And the, the best comment was made in this whole discussion, in this entire tirade that I'm on here, um, Julie Benderis, when she was doing the interview, she mentioned that she sends her kids to ca- uh, Catholic school. The reason she doesn't send her kids to a public school is because she doesn't believe what's being taught there, and she wants to shield her kids from that. She wants to protect her kids from that, and that's why you send them to a Catholic school. And again, you can think it's stupid. You can think it's um, archaic. You can just think it's mean. Whatever you want to think it is, that's what Catholics believe. And so Julie Benderis 
is is probably spending a, a pretty good buck to send her kids to a Catholic school, and the purpose of sending them there is to protect them from this insanity. So how insane is it for the school that you send your kid to to be protected from this stuff, to welcome this stupidity? It's just, it's beyond belief. And St. Mary's College, by the way, I found this story from back in February. Um, Turning Point USA, they, they wanted to have a chapter at St. Mary's. That's a conservative um, uh, organization. And they were denied the uh, permission to have a, a chapter there. Now, they have other chapters of, of all kinds of liberal organizations, but uh, Turning Point USA was turned down because it, uh, they said the, it says um, biological sex messaging from Turning Point USA, USA does not, quote, align with its mission. So Turning Point USA's stance on this aligns with Catholic doctrine, okay? But it doesn't align with the mission of a Catholic university. This is just stupid beyond belief. I'll talk to, oh, I'll be right back. Well, speaking of uh, education, as I said, uh, I went to a, a Catholic school and, um, it was great for me because I was not a very good student. I was a, I liked to fool around a lot, and I learned a lot in spite of myself, despite terrible grades. And I, I actually learned more in high school, uh, I think, than I learned in uh, six years of trying to get through four different colleges and never graduating. But I did okay without the degree. So um, it just I, I, I came across this as I was doing this, looking at this stuff about St. Mary's College. I don't know how I... I stumbled onto this, but it's um, another, I guess, comment on education and what's happening now. Uh, somebody called Rebel Educator, at Rebel Educator on X, uh, put up an eighth grade graduation exam from 1912. So I have a few minutes here. I'm, I'm going to read um, a couple of these for Well, I'll read a few of these, few of these questions. This is, now remember... Uh, this is eighth grade. As you're driving along right now, maybe coming home from work, how many of these do you think you could answer? These are for eighth graders in 1912. Um, let's see. Grammar. How many parts of speech are there? Define each. Define proper noun, common noun. Those are all e easy. What is a personal pronoun? You'd get that wrong now because you're not allowed to have pronouns. Um, w William struck James. Change the voice of the verb. These are these are the easy ones. Here's some history for you, okay? Now let's do civil government, because that's a good one for what's going on today. These are questions for eighth graders. Define the following forms of government. Democracy, limited monarchy, absolute monarchy, republic. Give examples of each. To what four governments are students in school subjected? Name five county officers and the, and the principal duties of each. You think anybody could name any what one kid could do that in any school in Allegheny County right now? Name and define the three branches of the federal government. Okay, give three duties of the president. What is meant by the veto power? Name three rights given Congress by the Constitution and two rights denied Congress. In the election of a president and vice president, how many electoral votes in each state allowed? Give the eligibility of president, vice president, and governor of Kentucky. This was a 
for his kids in Kentucky. Uh, describe the manner in which the president and vice president of the United States are selected. So here's some here's some history um, questions. Okay, give the cause of the War of 1812 a name. An important battle fought during that war. Name the last battle of the Civil War, War of 1812, French and Indian War, and and the commanders in each battle. Who invented the following? Magnetic, telegraph, cotton gin, sewing machine, telephone, phonograph. Um, geography. Here's a good one. Hey, could you do this as you're riding along in the car? Define longitude and latitude. Name and give boundaries of the five zones. What are the five zones? I don't. What are they? I don't even know there were five zones. Uh, tell what you know of the Gulf Stream. Locate Erie Canal. What waters does it connect, and why is it important? Locate the following countries, which border each other. Okay, Turkey, Greece, Serbia, Montenegro, and Romania. Name and give the capitals of states touching the Ohio River. Locate these cities: Mobile, Quebec, Buenos Aires, Liverpool, Honolulu. I'm um, I'm in big trouble on that geography. Um, I, I, could I find Serbia on a map or, or Romania? I mean, I, I, you know, I think I know the general vicinity. Um, so, how long a, a, a rope is required to reach from the top of a building forty feet high to the ground thirty feet from the base of the building? I'm, I, I'm, I'm out. You know, I've done. I. Uh, how many steps, two feet, four inches each, will a man take in walking two and a quarter miles? That's a, This is eighth grade now. I'd be in tears. A man sold a watch for $180 and lost 16 and two-thirds percent. What was the cost of the watch? Find out, find cost at 12 cents per square yard. Of the walls of, of the, I guess the carpeting for the walls of a room 20 feet long, 16 feet wide, 9 feet high, deducting one door 8 feet by 4 feet 6 inches and two windows 5 feet by 3 feet 6 inches. This is a, this is a test for eighth graders. I couldn't do that if, tonight if I had to do that in my house. If somebody said I was going to, going to die, if I didn't get it figured out in a half hour, there's no way I'd get it done. Now, um, Solve three thirty-five dash seven plus four point five eight plus. I don't even want to read that. So anyway, that's that's what they were doing for eighth graders, and uh, now kids are learning pronouns. You know what what um, what pronouns you should be using for people, and and I don't know what they're learning in school now, but um, they're not learning that. And uh, what? Where's here's another quick one. Name the organs of circulation. Compare arteries and veins as to function. Where is the blood carried to be purified? These are physiology questions. What are the functions of the spinal column? Why should we study physiology? Give at least five rules to be observed in maintaining good health. <laughs> That'd be interesting today. So that's it. Uh, I hope you pass the quiz. Uh, there'll be a, another test tomorrow. I'll see you then. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.